And welcome in everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Dynasty Underground. I'm your host, Derek Womack, and you can follow me on Twitter at Dino Underground. That's at D-Y-N-O Underground. And I'm actually I'm pretty excited about today's show because it's an it's a topic that I find really interesting. Um, I'm going to be doing or talking about who I believe are the five most pivotal players for the 2020 season. Now, when I say most pivotal, I'm talking about some good, talented players that are being drafted highly, and I mean they're. They're players that I believe can make or break, you know, seasons. Make make or break the season, you know, the twenty twenty season. Um, so I these aren't really in any order, and I kind of cheated a little bit. I actually have six names on the list, but you know, we'll get to, you know, we'll get to that point when we get, you know, when we get there. My first pivotal player for the twenty twenty season is. A player that I actually I'm rooting for. I want him to do well. Uh, it's Kenyon Drake, and I think the whole fantasy community as a whole is with Kenyon Drake, right? Like we we want Kenyon Drake to be good. Um, but I mean, he's got an ADP. Looks like he's going in the second round. So. That's significant draft capital. He's going in the late second, early third, especially in you know a startup draft. One where where Kenyon Drake's kind of real, you know, I don't even know how to describe it. Where his real, you know, kind of where he becomes an enigma is what is his role going to be after the twenty twenty season. You because know, I mean, we're this is a dynasty podcast. I know, you know, I talk about the upcoming season a lot as if it were, you know, a redraft. But I mean, I put it like I said, I I weight the upcoming season more heavily than I do twenty twenty one, obviously. But I don't think it, there's nobody denying the upside of Kenyon Drake for the 2020 season, right? We saw it. We saw what his upside is a season ago where he was just lighting the world on fire, scoring long touchdowns. I think he had a three touchdown game and then followed it up with a four touchdown game or something. Um, it was just, it was just crazy what he was doing in that offense. Um, and it was clicking. They added, you know, the offensive lineman in the draft who, you know, a lot of people had pegged as a first round pick and he ended up falling to the second or third. So, you know, they add DeAndre Hopkins and you know, those two, those two additions, the offensive line and DeAndre Hopkins are going to make the offense as a whole better. They're, you know, they're going to run a bunch of plays. They're going to score a bunch of points. I mean, I, I fully expect Kenyon Drake to have a great season. Um, I, I mean, I have him in one league. He's slotted in my starting lineup right now, and I don't, I don't, I don't hate it. <laughs> you know, 
but we also have to factor in, and I don't know if it's fair to call Kenyon Drake, you know, I don't know if it's fair to say he's broken out or not, really, because he's shown flashes. I mean, he's shown flashes, what, three seasons ago, and then, you know, at the end of the year, and then two seasons ago, he wasn't great for fantasy, but I think he finished as, you know, a high-end RB2 or a lot. I think he was a top 20 RB. I don't have the numbers in front of me. And then last season, you know, he was basically not heard from until he got traded to Arizona. But here's where it gets tricky with Kenyon Drake. Is there are not many players who are, you know, are 26 years old and go to their second teams and then become a workhorse. And where, I mean, I feel like he is set up to, um, to take over that role, to take over that backfield, to be, you know, the clear leader. And I mean, you know, Chase met, Chase Edmonds is going to get some carries, you know, no running back is going to get all the carries. I fully expect Kenyon Drake to be, you know, almost as much of a workhorse as the next guy. You know, he's not going to get the Christian McCaffrey, like 99% snap share or whatever it was. Um, but like I said, he's, we all know he's talented, but these are very, there are not very many players. You know, we had the, you know, the Tim Hightower days where he, you know, he kind of broke out. At age 30, we had Justin Forsett who broke out in the late 20s and had, you know, but I mean, even so, these guys had like one really good season. And like I said, I know it, it happens, you know, clearly, obviously it happens sometimes. And I can't think of a more obvious situation than, you know, the, the lead running back who should have, you know, a vast majority of the running back touches in what should be one of the league's most prolific offenses and, you know, who should run out of, you know, I mean, I think the offense is not only would be good enough to be on the field a lot to run a bunch of plays, but, you know, they're kind of up tempo and that's, you know, that has a lot more plays built into it, you know, there. So the path is there, right? Kenyon Drake you know the runway is clear. All he's got to do, all he's got to do, is remember to put the landing gear down, and just bring it home nice and smooth, and go out there and play to his talent because we all know he's talented because we've seen it. But like I said, we're talking about an age twenty-six breakout, and I mean breakout as in, you know, he's never. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I really don't know how to classify Kenyon Drake because, you know, he kind of broke out a few years ago whenever the Dolphins traded Jay Ajayi. But then, you know, the whole next season, he was just kind of meh the whole year. And then last year, 
was doing nothing for you until he got traded to Arizona. And then, yeah, that looked like the true breakout. So, I mean, it's just kind of hard. Even if you don't want to classify it as a breakout, I mean, I don't have the running backs in front of me, but just off the top of your head, name a running back who didn't become a workhorse until age 26. Right, because usually it's the opposite. You know, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, you know, these these running backs, Joe Mixon, Leonard Fournette, you know, these running backs really became, if not workhorses, you know, the clear timeshare leaders, basically by the rookie year. You know, Miles Sanders, uh, David Montgomery, you know, like Le'Veon Bell. I mean, just, you know, you... There's a lot of running backs who come in as rookies, you know, whether they were drafted to be the workhorse or were just clearly more talented than the running backs they already had on the roster. You know, these guys, usually if they're going to be workhorses, they do it within the first year or two. You know, rarely are you going to find a guy who it took him till age 26 to become a workhorse back. We have the opportunity here. I see that. And I'm optimistic about it. This isn't me telling you to fade Kenyon Drake. Because I do have optimism with him. I think like I think he's a talented player in a vacuum. And then you add him to what should be one of the league's best offenses. I think it should make for a very productive 2020 season. That's going to bring me to... My next guy, and I know a lot of you are about to yell at, me, yell at me about this because this has been a hot button <laughs> on Twitter. I mean, like, I can't even I can't even mention the other person in that backfield sometimes without just getting avalanched by yeah buts, the well actually guys. My second pivotal player for the 2020 season is Nick Chubb. Now, when I say pivotal, like like I said, Nick Chubb is a great running back. He's awesome, right? You don't need me to tell you that. This isn't me. This isn't a hot take by me by calling Nick Chubb a great running back. But he's he shares the backfield with another great running back. You know, this isn't a Jordan Howard, Tariq Cohen type situation where Jordan Howard is the clear thumper and Tariq Cohen is, you know, the light, you know, shifty scat back, you know, that's basically only going to catch passes. You know, Kareem Hunt is 216 pounds. You know, he's 5'10", 216, and he's led the league in rushing already in his career. I mean, he's only, he's almost 25 years old. He's not even 25 years old yet. He's already led the league in rushing. This is a talented, Kareem Hunt is a talented runner, and he's a great pass catcher. You know, we've all, we probably saw, you know, the stories going around where Kareem Hunt is doing Zoom meetings with the wide receivers. 
So, you know, there's some speculation going on that they're going to line, the Browns are going to line him up in the slot. And they're going to have, they'll, I mean, they'll likely have Hunt and Chubb on the field anyways, you know, a lot together. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's I don't know if the hype is going to be warranted. You know, if, if saying Kareem Hunt was on a Zoom meeting with the wide receivers, that shouldn't skyrocket his value or his ADP, you know, but what we do need to realize is that is Nick Chubb talented enough to be a first round dynasty startup pick? Absolutely. He clearly is, you know, we've seen him perform as such. If he was, if there was no, if there were no Kareem Hunt in Cleveland, Nick Chubb would be a slam dunk first round dynasty startup pick. But let's look at this from the other point of view. Let's say let, let's say Nick Chubb decides to retire tomorrow. You know, you're listening to this, all of a sudden you get the sleeper notification on your phone that says or, or you know the Twitter breaking news or something that says Nick Chubb has retired or something much more unfortunate. Let's say you get a notification that says Nick Chubb has suffered an inju- or a season-ending injury. That's going to skyrocket Kareem Hunt likely into the first round of drafts. Of redraft leagues, for sure, he's going to be right there at the end, especially with all the uncertainty surrounding Mixon and Dalvin Cook. And I bring this up to say that, you know, how many other backfields are like that? You know, if, let's look at New England. If James White, you know, decides, if James White, for some reason, doesn't play football in 2020, Sonny Michelle is not going to skyrocket to the top few rounds of drafts, and vice versa. If Matt Breida or Jordan Howard, one of them two, doesn't play football in 2020, the other one's not going to skyrocket to the early drafts or early part of the drafts. Um, I mean, Green Bay, if, you know, maybe, I mean, if anything happened to A.J. Dillon, Aaron Jones would go right back up to the first round. If anything, But, I mean, if anything happened to Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon would rise, but I don't know if he'd get in the first few rounds. Um, you know, I mean, you just go team through team, look at the running back committees, and picture, just ask yourself, if player X doesn't play football in 2020, then how far is player Y going to rise? You know, maybe, okay, maybe Baltimore, where, let's say Mark Ingram decided to retire. J.K. Dobbins is going to shoot up there probably in the second, third round of start, you know Dynasty Startup Drafts. That might be the only one. Only other, like, you know, only other situation where Nick Chubb has a, another player in his backfield, another running back in his backfield that is probably at least as talented as Nick Chubb. And he, he, he can do 
most of the things Nick Chubb can do. I'm not going to say Kareem Hunt is as good as a between-the-tackles runner as Nick Chubb, but like I said, we've seen Kareem Hunt lead the NFL in rushing before. It's already happened. It's not speculation if he can do it or not because we've already seen it happen. We've already seen him do it. He's been one of the most prolific running backs in the league already. He is a player worthy of a first-round dynasty pick if there were not another first-round dynasty pick in his backfield already. So, you know, I'm seeing people chart Nick Chubb for 1,300 rushing yards and Kareem Hunt for basically half that. And, I mean, they're charting Nick Chubb for twice as many touches as Kareem Hunt's going to get. And I don't see how you can justify that. That's why I'm fading Nick Chubb at 2020. That's why, I mean, right now I'm trying to acquire Kareem Hunt. And then I fully project their touches to be a lot closer than a lot of people think during the season. And so if you want to acquire Nick Chubb, don't do it in your draft. Don't do it in your startup draft because you're going to have to pay a premium for him. Wait until midseason, and if he's go if he's going out there and he has 650 yards in the middle of the season, he's on pace for 1,300. Well, I mean his price really hasn't risen because he's being drafted as if he's going to run for 1,300 yards. So you're not paying more to acquire him. But like I'm going to guess the more likely scenario is that Cleveland realizes that they have two incredible talents together and there's no reason to overwork both of them or either one of them and risk injury. You know, they want to make the playoffs this year. They've got a talented roster. They've got some talent on the defensive line. They've got, you know, a couple of guys in the secondary. They've got an ascending, what should be an ascending young quarterback. They've got maybe the, I mean, they've got one of the best wide receiver duos in the league. And they've probably got the best backfield overall in the league. Why would you not use that? You know, if you are an NFL coach, let's put yourself in the shoes of an NFL coach right now. You've got Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and you want to make the playoffs this year, you likely want to go into the playoffs with both Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. So not only am I saying that Nick Chubb is a pivotal player, like I said, he, he's talented, he's plenty talented enough, sure, to be super efficient with his touches you know, that I know they've added some help on the offensive line. I think they brought in two guys, you know, one in free agency, one in the draft. But, you know, he could be, you know, he could be efficient enough to return value on where he's being drafted. But, I mean, so can Kareem Hunt. And he's being drafted much later than Nick Chubb. And that's where, you know, it doesn't really make sense to me because especially if you're in a PPR league, like I finally, I know I referenced this before, but I actually, like I said, I got into a spirited debate on Twitter 
to say the least, a few days ago, where I simply stated that, or I, I posted, you know, a tweet from Scott Barrett that said, Kareem Hunt outscored Nick Chubb in six of eight weeks last year. And this dude said, no, he didn't. And then posted screenshots of their game logs to me to prove a point. And there it was, six out of eight weeks, Kareem Hunt was outscoring Nick Chubb. And they're being drafted as if that didn't happen. Now, Kareem Hunt's was a little more, you know, he wasn't getting the rushing volume that Nick Chubb was. But, you know, he was also being, you know, you know, still getting acclimated to the offense because he was suspended, right? He wasn't even allowed to partake in football activities. But, you know, now he is. Now he's there. He's having, you know, the full off season. I mean, what he can anyways. I know team facilities are finally getting to open up a little bit. But, like I said, the the re- I don't understand Nick Chubb's draft price due to, I mean, due to the presence of another. Like like I said, if there's no Nick Chubb, if Nick Chubb disappears from the picture, Kareem Hunt is likely gonna vault to at least as high as Nick Chubb is being drafted right now. And what that tells us is that this is a talented player. This is a player talented enough to be drafted, you know, right where Nick Chubb is being drafted, which tells us that he's ba- he's probably as talented as Nick Chubb, which tells us that their usage should be fairly close. So that's why Nick Chubb makes this list for me because you know, he's being drafted as if he's going to be a clear workhorse, but I don't see Without, I mean, without an injury to Kareem Hunt, I don't see Nick Chubb getting the touches that most people are projecting him to get. That's going to bring me to my third pivotal player for the 2020 season, and that's my boy, Lamar Jackson. And I say my boy because, let, let, me, let me rewind a couple of years. So, I was totally in love with Patrick Mahomes coming into the NFL draft. He was my favorite quarterback prospect that season. I'm going into my rookie draft. My quarterback, you know, in my main dynasty league, my quarterback was Tom Brady and Ryan Tannehill, who, you know, was pretty much on his way out of Miami. But, you know, my team was rebuilding you know, I needed some pieces. I needed some pieces everywhere, really. But I loved Lamar, or I loved Patrick Mahomes. I knew I was going to take Patrick Mahomes. Well, we get into our rookie draft, and I'm, you know, I'm looking at these running backs, the wide receivers. I'm trying to figure out which one I want to get. All of a sudden, and it's this is one QB. All of a sudden, we get into the fourth round, and a you know another league mate of mine selects Patrick Mahomes. And we're doing this live in person, and my jaw hit the ground. Like, as soon as I heard someone else say the words Patrick Mahomes, my jaw dropped. (laughs) Like, literally, 
Uh, yeah, I'm saying literally, I'm pretty sure it hit the ground because I knew that I blew it. I got caught up in the draft process and I blew it. So the reason what, what that all has to do is fast forward a year. My quarterbacks are still basically just Tom Brady at this point. And so I select Lamar Jackson because I loved his rushing ability. And, you know, he and he ended up, you know, with with the season he had in 2019. And I ended up winning the league that year finally. That was my redemption for Patrick Mahomes. You know, that was my redemption for my Patrick Mahomes blunder. You know, so that's why Lamar Jackson is my boy. <clears throat> You're not going to find a bigger Lamar Jackson fan outside of, you know, the Baltimore and Louisville fan bases. But the reason he makes this list for me is because he's going early, obviously. And you know the, the general practice for fantasy football is you don't take a quarterback early. But he's going, I'm looking at sleeper, he's going at pick 19. So he's going in the middle of the second round. And, you know, let's let's rewind the clock for a little bit. Let's rewind a year from now. And, then, you know, you're just not even a year from now. Just let's look at the 2019 season. Lamar Jackson was the rare Q, or league winner at the quarterback position. But the reason he was a league winner at that position is because he was being drafted late, right? You were doing the late quarterback strategy. You know, you were loading up with, you know, three running backs and three wide receivers in your first six or seven or eight rounds. You know, you didn't take Lamar Jackson until the double-digit rounds, likely. So then he goes out there, you know, you hit on most of your picks early, and then you got Lamar Jackson running wild and leading the league in touchdowns and passer rating and stuff. Well, that's how a quarterback becomes a league winner. But now he's being drafted, you know, drafting him at 19 overall. Even if he performs to the same level that he did a year ago, well, you're not gaining, you know, he doesn't become a league winner at that point because you're investing significant capital in him. If you've already got him on your dynasty rosters, if you drafted him in your rookie drafts or you traded for him after his rookie season or during his rookie season, whatever, then you're golden. You're great. I'm not, this isn't me saying that Lamar Jackson is going to be bad in 2020, but the value is, you know, being drained because he's being drafted. He, he's now being drafted to produce those numbers. So, even if he does, you're not really gaining anything because, I mean, just because, you, I mean, what he was giving you last year was was free, right? You were, you were playing with house money at that point. Whereas now, he has to perform that well, right? And I would say that history will be on the side of regression. You know, he's not going to 
rush for 1,200 yards again. He's not going to lead the league in touchdowns again. He's not going to lead the league in passer rating again. You know, and Baltimore didn't add much in the way of weaponry, you know, through free agency or the draft. You know, I've talked about Devin DuVernay a little bit. I like Devin DuVernay. I like the matchup with Lamar Jackson because I saw a stat that said the Baltimore Ravens threw the most touchdown passes to the slot last year of any other team. And Devin DuVernay is like, a, you know, runs in the four threes out of the slot. That seems like an electric pairing to me. That seems like a pairing that would make sense. But, like I said, there's, you know, there's regression coming. There should be regression coming for Lamar Jackson in the way of passing efficiency. There should be regression coming in the way of, you know, touchdowns overall. There should be regression coming in the way of total rushing yards. He should still have a high floor. He's not going to stop running the ball, obviously. He should be a great, you know, floor play every week with some occasional boom weeks, you know, when he runs for 100 yards and a touchdown or whatever. But, like I said, when you're, you have to take these things into consideration. You know, this, this has never happened before. Quarterbacks don't rush for 1,200 yards, you know, even or even, like, quarterbacks don't rush for 1,000 yards, first of all, and then they also don't lead the league in passing efficiency the same year. So the fact that it happened once, yeah, great, it happened, but don't chase that, you know. Like, if you, if you missed it last year, then you missed it. I'm sorry. You just missed it. You can't you can't capture that. You're going to have to try to find the next guy that you can get late and potentially becomes a league winner. So, like I said, with that ADP of the middle of the second round for Lamar Jackson, not only for him to for him to be worth that pick for you to bypass, you know, a player like a Miles Sanders or I mean one of these other running backs or Amari Cooper or Kenny Galladay or Odell Beckham Jr. You know, for you to bypass some of those players to get your quarterback, he better not regress that much. And the fact that he led the league in so many categories last year, I mean, that would pro- I mean that would project that he would regress a little bit in all of those categories, which means his ceiling comes down quite a bit. And when you're, like I said, when you're passing up all of those, because you're not just selecting Lamar Jackson in the second round, you're bypassing, you know, harder to acquire assets. And so that's kind of where, that's where, Lamar Jackson makes this list for me is because if you're taking him that early or you're paying that price for him, he had better be almost as good as he was last year. Because if he's not, then you're going to have a hard time winning your league this year in 2020. It's going to bring me to my next player, my fourth player on my 
five pivotal players list. And that is the aforementioned DeAndre Hopkins. Because obviously I've touted him as the best wide receiver in the league. I truly believe he's the best wide receiver in the league. I know most people are going to say Michael Thomas, but Michael Thomas is an awesome route runner. You know, clearly. You know, he, he gets peppered with targets, and you don't get peppered with targets unless you're open. But let's not act like if the Saints and Texans would have made an even swap. You know, or you, or you, you take Michael Thomas, put him on the Texans, and take DeAndre Hopkins and put him on the Saints. I mean, he's... Is it crazy to say that DeAndre Hopkins is going to put up at least the numbers that Michael Thomas did last year? I don't think so. Go look at Michael Thomas's highlight reel. There's, I mean, there's not a whole lot of excitement on it. You don't see Michael Thomas leaping over players and making one-handed catches with his butt, <laughs> you know, or or securing insane one-handed grabs, you know. I think it's pretty clear that DeAndre Hopkins is the much better player, right? He operates further downfield. He makes circus catch. He's a, I mean, he is, I, I'm going to misuse the word literally here, but he's, DeAndre Hopkins is literally a human highlight reel. That's what he does is make ridiculous plays. And so it sounds kind of weird to talk about his, potential downside which is what I'm going to do because that's that's what I have to do with all these players right they are they're going early for a reason because they're talent they're either a talented b in great situations or c both and I said I love DeAndre Hopkins the talent I love DeAndre Hopkins in Cliff Kingsbury's offense I love DeAndre Hopkins with Kyler Murray throwing him the ball what I don't love is that he goes, he's in an offense now with two other really good wide receivers. Larry Fitzgerald is not what he once was, obviously, but I mean, the dude's still out there playing good football. He's still going to go out there and command targets. Christian Kirk is ascending. You know, he, he played really well last year in spurts you know he had a three touchdown game you know I was on the receiving end of that in a couple weeks last year or a, a couple of leagues and so and you know you know the word is like I'm not going to try to predict what coaches do or how quarterbacks how much a coach's philosophy is going to influence quarterbacks you know but they say that Cliff Kingsbury's offense is predicated on spreading the ball evenly, right? So, you know, evenly between, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, Larry Fitzgerald, and Christian Kirk. I'm not going to, I'm not saying that, one, I'm not saying that's true because, you know, last year it makes sense that the balls would be distributed evenly because, they didn't have a DeAndre Hopkins on their team. They, you know, they had 
Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk and a slew of lesser guys. So, you know, it would make sense that the targets were distributed pretty evenly last year. But, and I, I know I know some people don't like the vacated targets argument, but there are zero, essentially, vacated targets in Arizona. You know, they, you know Larry Fitzgerald came back. Christian Kirk, you know, Christian Kirk missed some games last year. You know, in the vacated targets list... Let me find, I got it pulled up right here. Let me find the Arizona Cardinals. Okay, maybe just scratch everything I just said. I'm seeing them as having the one, two, three, four, fifth most vacated targets. Wow. Did David Johnson really command that many targets? Um, well, I might have to just rethink everything. No, I'm not going to rethink everything I just said. Um, because he's not—he's likely not going to go in and soak up some of the running back targets. Um, and I'm not saying that DeAndre Hopkins is going to come out and have a bad season, but he's being drafted often as the wide receiver one or wide receiver two when. I, mean, I think the smart play is, you know, look at, you know, we know Michael Thomas has been nothing but great his entire tenure in the in the NFL. Devontae Adams has been not only great the last few years, but there is nobody else in Green Bay to catch passes. Green Bay didn't add anybody. They added Devin Funches. So, yeah, the Green Bay didn't add anybody. I'm sorry, Devin Funches. You know, I, I would love for you to be good, but I mean, I think it's kind of late for a breakout, don't you? <laughs> but, and you know, we got Tyreek Hill, who has been the number one overall receiver in a season. He had a killer rookie year. He's maybe the most explosive player in the league on the most explosive offense in the league. So, you know, if you are... You know, DeAndre Hopkins becomes pivotal to me when you're selecting him above some of these other players with more continuity, with, you know, without the, you know, we've seen players, we've seen wide receivers change teams and then underperform in their first year. You know, and especially in a league or a year like this where, you know, the offseason is shortened. And, I mean, human interaction is really shortened. So, you know, it, it makes sense that DeAndre Hopkins wouldn't come out and outperform, you know, at least those... He's not going to outperform Julio Jones, likely. So when you're, when you're drafting DeAndre Hopkins as your wide receiver one, and if you're drafting him ahead of you know, Julio Jones, Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, Michael Thomas, you have to, I mean, he's going ahead of four guys in whatever order. They're likely all going to score more fantasy points than him in 2020. And I get why you would want to have him over Julio Jones because he's a couple years younger. But, I mean, if you're, I don't, I don't even know what to tell you because I don't really, 
I don't like going into a startup draft and punting and punting the first season. And I'm not even really saying that Hopkins, that taking Hopkins is punting the 2021 season, but <clears throat> you're foregoing, you know, if you're taking him over some of those other guys, you're foregoing basically guaranteed production. So, and this is, whether you take him ahead of those guys or not, he is going to be your wide receiver one when you take him. So the fact that there is the narrative that Cliff Kingsbury is, you know, that offense is going to distribute the balls evenly. I don't know if that's true or not, but if it is, that's going to move uh, Hopkins' value down a little bit, obviously, because he has been a target vacuum in Houston. There's basically been nobody else to catch passes in Houston. You know, <laughs> Will, uh, Will Fuller, when healthy, basically catches two 50-yard touchdowns per week. And that, so it's about the only targets that go somewhere other than DeAndre Hopkins. So his target share is going to come down. You know, there is a narrative, I don't know if it's true or not, that the targets are going to be distributed evenly. So that's going to bump Hopkins down. He, you know, there's the, the history of wide receivers changing teams not being as productive. So that's going to bump him down. So you're losing stability with everything. You know, you know, it's not like he's getting a quarterback upgrade because he had a great quarterback in Houston. So, you know, there's not really, you know, for, for every step that he might take forward, he takes another step and a half back going to Arizona, right? So, when you're taking him as your wide receiver one in drafts or you're trying to trade for him, you're likely not going to get the stability that you've had for the past several seasons with DeAndre Hopkins. And that's where he becomes pivotal for me because you're paying the iron price. You know, you're paying up to get him. You're paying up for him to be a top five wide receiver. And I just don't think that's in the cards, especially... Like I said, I just named four wide receivers that are likely going to outscore him. And then you 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 have the guys like Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Kenny Galladay, Amari Cooper, Odell Beckham Jr. If he decides to be Odell Beckham Jr., you know, you have these other guys that can get in there. And so that's kind of where DeAndre Hopkins becomes pivotal for drafts and for just at his price, he becomes a pivotal player for me. For 2020, that's going to bring me to my last player, or should I say players, it's the aforementioned Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. And I went with the combination of the two because they're being drafted in the top two rounds. They're both being drafted in the top two rounds. It makes sense. They're incredibly talented players. They showed that last year. They were, I think, the both the number one and two fantasy wide receivers at one point before before injury. So, you know, why do they become pivotal for me? Why do they not become, why are they not just, you know, smash draft picks, draft them as your wide receiver ones, and move on? 
Well, one, because they're both being drafted as wide receiver ones. That doesn't happen very often. You know, two players from the same team, two players from the same team being top 24 wide receivers doesn't really happen as often as we think it does. So drafting two finishing as wide receiver ones rarely happens. That's a rare occurrence. So the price they're going right now is essentially projecting that. And it's not really taking into account everything that changed from last year to this year. So, you know, last year you had, you know, maybe maybe the ultimate DGAF quarterback. Maybe it's Ryan Fitzpatrick. I don't know. But you had a truly DGAF quarterback in Jameis Winston, right? I mean, we saw this dude. I know it was a preseason game, but this dude is getting sacked. He can't even his knee is two inches off the ground and he just blindly hurls it to the end zone and hopes one of his players catches the ball. Tom Brady is not going to do that. And, you know, Jameis Winston doing that is good for fantasy, you know, kind of for two reasons. One, he's not just, you know, he's not just taking a sack and not giving his player the chance to, you know, make the play, but, you know, He's throwing an interception, which, if leads to more points, is going to lead to more throwing, you know, more passing volume. The dude had 30 interceptions last year. I think six pick sixes. So that's, you know, that's that's immediately points in the other direction. That's immediately putting yourself in a hole. That's immediately saying that you can't run the ball as much because you have to climb out of this hole that you've dug yourself in. Tom Brady's not going to throw 30 interceptions. He might not throw any pick sixes in 2020. So the passing volume is likely going to come down. Now the passes being distributed will likely be more accurate, but the overall volume will likely come down. So now we're banking on not only efficiency, but we're banking on two players being efficient enough to be wide receiver ones. And that's not taking into account they bring in Keyshawn Vaughn in the third round of the draft. Now, maybe you don't like Keyshawn Vaughn, right? There's There's been a clear line drawn in the sand. You have Keyshawn Vaughn people and you have Ronald Jones people. And okay, that's fine, but... Keyshawn Vaughn was active in the passing game in college last year. They, you know, Tampa Bay didn't have a running back that was that active in the passing game last year. I know Ronald Jones ended up catching a few passes, you know, when he kind of took over, but now they bring they bring in a true all-purpose running back. I'm not saying Vaughn is going to completely take over the backfield, but he is going to take snaps. He is going to catch passes. And, you know, if Ronald Jones is truly improving as a pass catcher, like all the Ronald Jones people say he is, well, then that's more passes to be distributed to the running back position. And we've seen Tom Brady heavily involve his running backs, you know, in the passing game in the past. So, 
And I mean, maybe that's because he had James White and only Julian Edelman as a wide receiver, pretty much, you know, but, you know, he, I mean, there's likely going to be a little more, a few more targets distributed to the running back position just because, you know, maybe Ronald Jones is getting better as a pass catcher and Keyshawn Vaughn is a good pass catcher. So that, that already is going to point towards more passes being directed towards the running back position. And they went out and they added Rob Gronkowski this offseason. We already know, we know Rob Gronkowski is going to get some targets. He might not, he's not going to get the target share that he commanded in New England for all those years, but he's going to get his share. He's going to get targeted more heavily than OJ Howard did last year. So when you're looking at Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, you know, I always say talent rises to the top, but when you have two wide receivers that are being drafted as wide receiver ones on the same team, that doesn't happen very often. So let, you know, let's, let's move the bar down a little bit. You add target competition at the running back position a little bit. Let's move the bar down a little bit there. You take away the, you know, a lot of the negative game script, which is going to add more rushing attempts. That's, you know, let's move the bar down a little bit more. And you add maybe the best tight end that's ever played the game of football, you know, with a long track record of success with Tom Brady. Let's move the bar down a little bit more. So with these two players, you keep moving the bar down and down and down. You know, every time you look at one of their surrounding circumstances from what they had a year ago, you move the bar down, right? The passing volume is going is likely coming down. The target competition went up. So their target their overall target, you know, their their overall targets are going to come down. Their you know, their share of the targets is going to come down. So why are these two players, both of them, being drafted as wide receiver ones? It doesn't really make sense to me. I get that they both have the talent to be wide receiver ones, but the odds of both both of them finishing there are not great, <laughs> to say the least. They're not good. So, you know, it just, it kind of makes more sense to me to just, forego both of those players and if you're going to select a wide receiver take Kenny Galladay you know that dude was what the number three wide receiver last year so he's got high-end wide receiver one upside and that was without one of the league's true gunslingers for the, a lot of the season in Matt Stafford and Detroit didn't really add a whole lot as you know in the way of pass catchers in the offseason. Geronimo Allison, get out of here with Geronimo Allison. I'm a Green Bay Packers fan. I've seen Geronimo Allison be so bad at football for long enough to not be worried about Geronimo Allison when thinking about Kenny Galladay. So, <laughs> and, I mean, and Detroit's going to throw the ball. They might throw the ball more than Tampa Bay throws the ball. 
I mean, I would say they probably will. And there's less target competition in Detroit. You know, some people don't like Marvin Jones. I, I love Marvin Jones, especially at his value. If you don't like Marvin Jones, if you think he's, you know, washed up, he's too old, well, then you need to escalate Kenny Galladay in your rankings because that means he essentially has zero target competition. You know, TJ Hawkinson should take a step forward, but, you know, we've seen historically that it's usually the third the third season for tight ends to truly break out. You know, I know we've seen some guys play well. You know, we saw Evan Ingram have a great rookie season. Hunter Henry had a good rookie season. You know, we've had these guys have some decent second-year seasons, but it's usually still their third season. And it kind of makes sense this year with that it would, you know, the Hawkinson might not have every opportunity to break out due to the limited interaction that people can have with each other right now. So, yeah, I mean, and these guys are both being drafted ahead of Kenny Galladay, and it doesn't really make sense to me because, you know, if I, I would bet Kenny Galladay finishes higher than both of them. I'm not saying he's as good a player as both of them, but he's got less target competition, a gunslinger quarterback, and an offense is going to be throwing the ball a ton, and he finished as a top three fantasy wide receiver just a year ago. And he's still young. He's just, I mean, he's, what, younger than Mike Evans. He's the same age or younger than Chris Godwin. So, you know, there's really no downside to selecting Kenny Galladay over these other two guys. Just, I mean, it's it's a safer pick. And, you know, you're not counting on, you're not counting on two guys from the same team being wide receiver ones. We're almost an hour in. That's going to have to do it for this show. I appreciate you guys for listening. If you haven't yet, give me, you know, you know, give the show a five-star rating and a review on iTunes. It it helps the show out so much, dude. It it really pushes it up to up there to the front when people, you know, search for Dynasty podcasts and we're almost at the time People are going to start searching. You know, it's it's mid-June right now. You know, when we, you know, in the two weeks, we're going to be saying the Hall of Fame game is next month, <laughs> right? In two weeks, we're going to be saying preseason football starts next month. So the more, the more five-star reviews, you know, I can get right now, it's really going to push the show up you know, towards the top of the list when people search for, you know, fantasy football podcasts, dynasty podcasts. And, you know, that's going to help the show grow. And as the show grows, the show will evolve and get better. You know, the production quality will get better. I'll be able to get, you know, I've got, you know, I've got, like I said, I've got a list of guests. They will be coming on shortly. And obviously the more the show grows, the better guests will be able to get on, you know, the more, the more, you know, highly, the more highly recognizable guests will be able to get on 
and that just means more fantasy wins for you guys, right? So, um, like I said, if you would, you can take the time, give a five-star rating, leave a review if you want. Helps show a lot. I got to get off here. This has been the Dynasty Underground. I've been your host, Derek Womack, and as always, thanks for listening.